Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Lisa Green. I'm the Interfaith Fellow, working for Chaplain Alex Hendrickson, and I'm also a member of Hillel in the class of 2024. Welcome to Lafayette's Interfaith Podcast, Colton Corner. Today, I am so excited to be joined by a brand new Assistant VP of Student Life, Mark Zapara. Hey, day seven. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so, you know, before we jump in, thank you so much for being here. Sure. And I'd love to just hear a little bit about you um, before fully delving into the religion and spirituality component. So just a little bit about how the last seven days have been, Yeah, where you're from, little, little basic details. Yeah. So I'm a, a Jersey boy in a Pennsylvania <laughs> world. Um, yeah, I love it. Yeah. So I grew up born. <laughs> And bred in New Jersey. My whole family are Jersey folk. My parents are from Newark, and I was born and raised in Elizabeth, um, and then down the Jersey Shore, not too far from Asbury Park. Um, and I've lived in Jersey most of my life until the last two years when I was in Ohio. So, which was, you know, a Jersey boy in Ohio is a whole another story. That's great. Um, so, yeah, it's great to be back east. Um, I am. Just so excited to be a Lafayette. You know, growing up in New Jersey, you always know about Lafayette. But Jersey people are very much relegated to our borders, right? So it's like, oh, Lafayette, that's in Pennsylvania. And I didn't really know it was like right over the bridge, right? (laughs) So it was probably maybe 10 years ago I got much more familiar with it because I was mentoring a student who came here. And I pop onto the campus and I was like, oh, this is gorgeous. It would be such a nice place to work one day. And here I am. So day seven is going great. I'm coming back for day eight tomorrow. Tomorrow, so that's amazing. Yeah. You're, you're still into it. Seven days totally into it. it. Totally into it. Totally <laughs> that's into the it. best. Okay, I'll, I'll check in with you around day 16. Okay, 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 okay. Um, I love it. I love it. I'm so excited to hear, you know, how you got here, what Ohio was like. We're gonna do a full mm. deep dive. Okay. Um, but first, kind of jumping in on that spirituality religious level, um, for anybody who doesn't know, how would you describe your faith or spirituality tradition? Mm. Yeah. So I was thinking of that as I was walking over here, and I said, how do I explain this? Right? <laughs> I'm so, so excited. So um, I come from an interfaith family. My um, mom, Jewish. My father, Catholic. Um, I was raised Jewish, and I was actually raised in yeshiva and then bar mitzvah orthodox. Wow. So I, and yet at the same time, the Catholic influence in my family was there all the time. So you're cashew. So, but not really. Not like. Really holiday wise and you know celebrating with the family but the way it kind of worked was my Polish Catholic grandmother we married into an Italian family so and then there was the Jewish side right so on Friday we did Sabbath I was going to Solomon Schechter and speaking Hebrew I went to Solomon Schechter okay where about down in Philly yeah. Okay. I was That's up so in, in Union, New Jersey. They closed the site after That's me. They so didn't want to. They didn't want to continue after me. Um, so yes, it was like conservative, and then bar mitzvah orthodox. Wow. But then I would go to my grandmother's house on Sunday and have like macaroni gravy and bocce ball (laughs) and I thought until I was maybe 10 years old that I was an Italian Jew because I did all the Jewish stuff but we would go to my grandmother's and I knew the Gavadil and the Manigat and the Sfiliadel and the Grappa and all that so I just figured that was my life and then I don't know maybe I was like 9 or 10 and my dad broke it to me that you know you're not Italian at all. Even a little bit Italian. Not even a little bit Italian. And, you know, my name sounds Italian. Yeah, it Sopara. does. I was thinking that, yeah. It's a Hungarian Catholic name, actually. Really? So the whole family was just a hodgepodge <laughs> of stuff, right? And so wow. I just grew up with a little bit of everything. That's and so yeah, it was great. It was great. That's so fun. Yeah. I love that. How, gosh, how did your parents get together? How did they feel about, mm. you know, being an interfaith couple? Yeah, that's yeah. a great question. So my parents <laughs> met in high school. They were both at a magnet school called um, Arts High in Newark. Oh, fun. And they were singers. My parents were both opera singers. Wow. And yeah, they were like very interesting life, these folks. So interesting. Um, and, you know, they grew up with in very meager means. My mom lived in the housing projects in Newark. My dad, like their family, no one was educated. Nobody was in the arts. And so they met in high school, um, fell in love, and they got married young. um, And it was really, really difficult. Not on either one of them. They were fine. It was the extended family, right? Sure. So my wonderful grandmother, who I loved very, very much, um, was a pain in the you-know-what. 
younger, and she gave my mom hell about yeah. marrying someone who was Catholic, oh, oh. and you know have the whole family from Florida call, all the old ladies call and scream and yell. Are they, are they saying Kaddish? Are they? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Total morning. Everyone's in morning, right? Wow. And wow. my yeah. dad's side, they were they were fine with it. So I think the rebellion was they decided they were going to get married in a Catholic ceremony. Oh, uh-huh. no. Oh, yeah. And your mom was raised Orthodox? She was raised, I don't know Orthodox. I know they definitely kept kosher and they kept the meat and the milk, the milk that's in the flesh. So conservatox at least. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, but I think the rebellion was going to be like, we're going to do this. Um, I can't remember. I sort of think that they that my grandmother didn't come to the ceremony, but I'm not sure on that one. I'm not Your sure mom's mom. Yeah. Oh, so they did that. Then they did a Jewish ceremony afterwards, oh, just probably to appease everybody. Sure. And so they tried. So right afterwards, my brother was born, and they tried to do both. They were like, okay, we'll do a little Christmas. We'll do a little Hanukkah. A little sprinkle. Yeah. And a little sprinkle. And then they were like, wait, this really isn't going to work. Because it's yeah. like, you can do different gradations of Christianity or different levels of Judaism. But it's like the Old Testament the New Testament, like, do you want one? Do you want both? Like, you really can't do both. It's hard. Gonna, it's right, hard. raising religiously, it's going to be difficult. So I guess especially the theology piece. Oh, 100%. You know, it's, 100%. it's like, I don't know. I feel like there are more and more Jews now that'll do Christmas secularly, right? Sure. Or something like that. Sure. Or like a Valentine's Day, Halloween, whatever. But you get into, you know, is Jesus the Messiah? Uh, you know, it's like, you can't think both. You can't, right? That's where the rabbi's like, look, you can eat shrimp chow mein at the Chinese sure, restaurant. Sure. Like, we're not doing Jesus at all. Right? Doing that. Right. It's okay. <laughs> so they were like all about this, like, let's try to do this holistic thing. Yeah. Then they realized my dad's feeling was that he really didn't like his tradition just because he grew up with like nuns that would like beat him up in school and you know all that stuff back in like the 50s and all it was not a good time for catholic kids so they decided that they would my dad would convert and then by the time i was born we were going to raise me jewish so my dad went for conversion ceremonies and remember he tells this story about how the rabbi said to the conversion class the first day, he's like, okay, just so you know, we don't want any of you. So if you (laughs) insist on it, we'll do it. But we really don't want to do this. rejected three times. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so he stayed with it and he did his classes. (laughs) And um, so my dad converted before I was born. So by the time I was born, we only did um, Judaism in the household. Yeah. Wow. And then my grandmother had totally come around to such joy about that, right? Like, yay, finally... (laughs) All right, it's okay now. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Wow. So, what were your first your first Jewish memories Mm -hmm. then? Like, what what sticks out to you when you think about growing up? I guess conservatox would be a word for Mm -hmm. if you were permitted orthodox. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So my first memories of it really are about um, going to Solomon Schechter in kindergarten and first grade. And so in Solomon Schechter, it might have been the same for you. It was half day Hebrew, half day English. Oh, yeah. Right. And so like we were doing Hebrew, right? I was coming home on Friday with a challah and yeah! we were doing the whole day. Like I that was always, a big thing, right? The Friday challah. I always challah. got a challah. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. And my mom would my mom be like, where's your challah? Did you forget? Right, you know? right. That was our thing. Like, you better, you better bring the challah home or you're you, in big trouble, right? What are you doing if you don't have your challah? That's Go it. back. That's mm. it. So that was my memory. Like, coming, I loved my teachers. Both the English and the Hebrew teachers were terrific. Yeah. And I made my two best friends then who yeah. I stayed in touch with. One I'm still in touch with 50 wow. years later. Um, and the other, we're kind of like in touch every couple of years sort of yeah, thing. But sure. yeah, I made like a whole group of friends and I loved the, the cantor used to drive me. He would do like one leg of the trip to Does school. Was the cantor in your school? The cantor was in the school. These kids were all in the school too. So we, we only had a rabbi. Yeah. We, you know, I don't remember the rabbi piece. I don't remember that my teacher, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Footer, <laughs> she, the story with Mrs. Footer, and I don't know if it was true, that she had had a baby like on a Friday, but she was a tough Israeli woman, so she came to work on Monday or something. And I don't I know. I wouldn't put a pastor, <laughs> right? I mean, they were tough ladies, you know? So I can still hear my mom and I still quote when one of my teachers, when, you know, Maria Hudi, she would get up there, yeah, team, kids, you know. 
And oh, they kept you yeah. in line. They oh, kept you, and your penmanship better be perfect. And like it was a thing. I can still, I can only write Hebrew and cursive. Really? <laughs> Isn't that weird? That's yeah. pretty impressive. <laughs> I, I can't do any of it anymore. Like yeah. I can read Hebrew a little bit. Um, the crazy irony is I can still recite the first couple of lines from my bar mitzvah. Like yeah, ah, how do I, I, mean, I remember that? If you listen to the recording enough, it's blasted it in there. It's blasted the whole tune. <laughs> oh gosh, it's <laughs> all there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, sure. No, of course. I mean that. I'll stick with you, you know, forever. I think it's going to the grave. I was going to say, say, that's, that's maybe an early grave. I don't know. <laughs> no, seriously, seriously. That's really, I can still hear the recording. Um, Mike Hanner is such a character. I grew up with him. Um, he's the great, I, I can still hear his voice. Um, yeah, that's so fun. So how long did you go to Solomon Schechter? Was it all through school or? No, actually it's a funny story. So I went up through sixth grade and then I went to a Quaker school. <laughs> Which, you know, a lot of the principles are the same. Like, do good deeds, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very much... And I know a lot of people who would call themselves Jewish Quakers. Uh-huh. Um, which sounds counterintuitive. I don't really think of, you know, and this... I don't know how true this is, but a lot of Quaker schools are not religious, you know, per se. They don't feel like it anyway. There were so many Jewish kids in my high school. um, So many kids of, you know, all different backgrounds. And I'll tell you, I think it was, they were complimentary. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, right. It was very much the spices, you know, service, peace, integrity, Mm -hmm. community, equality, Restoration, justice. Yeah. All All the same. Right. So you repair the world. All the same kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, they very, they very, they felt like they dovetailed for me. And it was funny when I was looking at Lafayette. My aunt, who's Orthodox, goes, "Why are you going to a Presbyterian college?" Right. <laughs> I was like, "No, I was like, it's not. It's not really a thing anymore." The roots are there, yeah. like the historical roots, but now, yeah. I was like, I was like, this is my first time going to a non-religious institution. Can we not? <laughs> but you know, if you think about it, like when I was most recently at Oberlin, Oberlin, thirty percent of the population is Jewish. Really? Yeah, they were founded on Christian roots because most schools sure. were. Sure. You know? So not Brandeis. There weren't a lot of Jews running around in their late seventeen hundreds, early eighteen hundreds, finding you know oh. colleges. So wow. Yeah, yeah. And I thought you know our our Jewish community. I, I always say I we don't feel small, even though some people, mm. you know, comparatively is small to, compared to other schools. Um, we're ten to thirteen yeah, percent depending on the year. Right. And but it's so I say small but mighty, if anything. Mm. Um, you know, it just feels bigger, it feels stronger than that. Um that's so did you go to Solomon Schechter the whole time? No, so I went two years to Solomon Schechter. I was on the scholarship and I guess the scholarship ran out, or oh. maybe I was bad and they threw me out. I have no idea. So I went to public school your, after your that. Your October essays weren't good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, one bad penmanship paper. Your October chanting, uh, not up to snuff. Well, but. you know, we'll get to that. We're going to get oh, to that because that's a thing, right? I'm excited. I'm excited. So I did. So I went to public school, but I always did Hebrew school. Um, and then we went reformed during the Hebrew oh, school Oh, yeah. everything. So I kind of loved that because my rabbi, Rabbi Pan, he was cool. He had married a Christian woman. Oh. So he was like, so now we're talking like going from conservadox down to reform, like so hippie kind of. after you were a permits for Orthodox? No, okay. before. Oh. So now we're talking about the ages of like maybe fourth, fifth, sixth grade. I'm doing oh. that. Okay. And I love my rabbi because I remember at that time I used to say to him, we would meet like in class and I would meet him afterwards. Yeah. I remember saying to him one time, Rabbi Pan, I don't know if I believe in God. Yeah. And he said, that's okay. Yeah. Like, and I, nobody told me that was okay, right? And so I thought, wow, this guy's given me a lot of freedom to just be. And so I really enjoyed that part of my life. And then age 12 came around, and my mom decided that the same rabbi who did my bris when I was born should be the one that does my. Oh, I know, no. I'm getting phantom pain just talking about the bris. <laughs> Um, yeah, as I cross my legs in the diner. Um, so 
he, she wanted the same guy to do the bar mitzvah. And wow. so, um, Rabbi Klein. And so I said, okay, because I'm 12, I don't really have much choice in anything. And so every day for a year, I went to his house. Maybe it was every other day, I don't know. But um, my grandmother would pick me up from school, take Aww. me to his house. I would do study with him. He taught me how to wrap tefillin. I would do that in the morning. I did, And so I became like a little Yiddish cup, right? And, um, and I, I, all right, I didn't love it, I have to admit, because it sure. was, it was so painful, valid. right? My Haftorah portion was 45 minutes long. What? I was a June baby, and whatever happened that week was the what? week of the 45-minute Haftorah portion. So, yeah. And then I had to run a whole ceremony. So the night before, I had to sleep over the rabbi's house because I wasn't allowed to drive to temple, so I had to walk with him. Wow. Oh, yeah, this was a thing. That's hardcore. Hardcore. So we go to the temple in Maplewood, New Jersey, and I walk in, and the wall is divided, men and women. Sure. And beforehand, I had written my speech. Sure. And, you know, I was a funny kid, so we took, I put a lot of humor in that. The rabbi took all the humor out. He, gave, he handed me a speech to read that was like Which something wise. a 92-year-old oh, man would no. read. Right? So, Mendel. Yeah, yeah. Mendel it, it was like the most, it was like something out of Yentl or something. It was awful. Oh, no. And so I'm so upset by this because I'm like, now I got to run this ceremony. I got to oh. chant for 45 minutes. My parents and everyone are separated by a wall. Yeah, it's brutal. The Christian relatives are all in the back. So it was like a thing. And, um, and, you know, I'm having to do the whole thing. And I, it was so funny because when you're running a several-hour ceremony as a 13-year-old boy, you can't possibly do it all. So I would get up to do the davening and do the prayers, and I didn't really know what I was saying. So I got up, and I kind of turned around, and I did the thing where I went on, you know, I kneel on the thing. I wish the show was visual right I, uh, now. I'm, I'm <laughs> kneeling on the chair, everybody. Yeah, this incredible. is incredible. And I, and I started just, like, mumbling, pretending I was doing Hebrew. So I'm like, Baruch Just like that kind who's of thing. Who's going to know? No one's going to know. Oh, it's good enough. No. So that was the ceremony. And then afterwards, we couldn't tell the rabbi that I had a party because he wasn't going to approve of that. And what? So, yeah, no party. I mean, I had the party. He just didn't know I was there. Wait. Yeah. If you, I went to an Orthodox party. I wonder if that's a newer thing. Back in 1982, you were not allowed to have any fun. No fun. So, uh -huh. and so afterwards, as much as I loved that rabbi as a human being, it really, really turned me off to religion. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, and and especially coming from the Reform Rabbi, where he's so chill and open and says, you don't need to believe in God. Because yeah. my favorite statistic in the world, I say this every time I lead services, 52% of American Jews, at least, are atheist or agnostic, right? 100%. And it's like... 100% of 52%, yes. Right. <laughs> right. I'm like, I think it's higher. I think that even sounds it, low to me. I think it sounds low. Right. Because the thing is, and I actually, I'm stealing this from Rabbi Lenza, who's my last guest. Um, she said, you know, in Judaism, you can have no more than one God. Less? Okay. Right. Uh, you know, oh, like, you, well, I like that. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? That's a very literal, like, you said it. You said it. No more than one. <laughs> I'm doing one less. No more than, <laughs> right. No more than one. Right. Like, don't, don't do three, okay. you know, but zero. Because sure. if you think about it, it's all about the questions, right? right. So, like, right. We, it, we don't have the answers. We haven't had the Messiah. The Messiah has not come. So we are still asking a lot of questions that don't so have answers. And it's it's almost arrogant to assume you know every secret of the universe. Oh, you know, it's yeah. right. It's almost that's my favorite thing about Judaism. The not only are you allowed to question, you're encouraged. You mm -hmm. know, and it's funny. My parents will get frustrated about this. We'll go to one of our family seder's, um, and it'll be you know three hours in, and one of my uncles will be like. Now, let me talk about this passage. I think it means that. The other uncle jumps in. No, 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 no. I think it means this. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I love that. It. I it's, love that, too. You know, there's no, there's no set answer. My favorite expression, two Jews, three opinions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Isn't that fun? Isn't that, that is fun? great. No, and it's so true. It's, um, you Now, know, what were you raised as? Like, how did it I, it's come It's funny. Yeah, I was raised, um, I guess I would almost say 
conservative technically Mm -hmm. but for a while there it felt conservative you know yeah i went to Schechter. i was very strict kosher to the point where i was annoying and i was the kosher police to other Mm. people um i remember my sister had you know trafe ice cream on passover I, I was like, oh. She'd be banished to hell if we had hell. The scariest, scariest place we can envision is right here. Right. Uh, <laughs> you're banished to earth. Damn. <laughs> no, I was so obnoxious. I, man, I, if I met little me, I'd be so irritated. Mm. Um, and, you know, then I, I went to the Quaker school and I kind of realized, you know, I was like, you know, God has bigger priorities than mm. me trying shrimp. Mm. You know, <laughs> there, there are more important things. Um, and I started laxing the rules a little. When I was 15. I said to my parents, I was like, I have to tell you something. I don't know how you're going to feel. I'm reform. <laughs> I know. My dad was like, yeah, me too. Uh, you know, my dad grew up very, um, very reform, very, they would have shrimp for Shabbat dinner, you know. I'm telling um, you, for some Jews, it's like a whole process of coming out. Yeah, Like, you yeah. have to come out as reform <laughs> to your much more religious relatives, especially grandparents, was, right? So. Well, and my grandparents were my everything, mm. my best friends. Um, yeah, they actually, they actually died at three months to, to the day apart from each other uh, during my freshman year of college. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just brutal um and actually my grandpa my grandma died february 14th valentine's day uh my freshman year and that was horrible because i i think i am her you know like i really she influenced so yeah thanks she influenced so much of who i am she's my best friend um she literally would swipe on dating apps with me like (laughs) like when i say this is my best friend i really mean it was she grandma or bubby or what was she grandma okay oh how about yours nana Oh, yeah, Nana and Papa. Yeah. Oh, and what about the my best friends in the world too? Really? Oh my. And they died three months apart from each other too. But when I was twenty nine, yeah. Wait, it's like to the day exactly? No, so September. um, My grandmother died September third, nineteen ninety eight, and my grandfather died the beginning of January ninety nine. So wow. So maybe four months apart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's a double whammy, right? It's, it's, like, it's the worst. It's, yeah. um, and it's so hard because I think a lot of people don't understand it. Mm. You know, for a lot of people, grandparents are people you see twice a year and, mm. you know, not that. I was so enmeshed in their lives that I didn't see anyone else during COVID. So I go over there every day. Mm. Um, and the thing is, this is wild. I really, the reason I care at all really is because of them, right? Like I, I sang on the beam at High Holidays because of them. Um, and I, if I didn't get a solo, my ground marched up to the canner and she said, why isn't Lisa singing? <laughs> Those poor canner, he's in the middle of his meal. Was, you know? um, and I just, I really, I wanted to do them proud. And, uh, you did. Thanks. You did. And, you know, I led, so vice president of religion and culture at Hillel, um, that, that was my position a few years ago, my freshman year of college to sophomore year. Um, I led services for the first time and my grandpa would be on the zoom every time, um, to the point where people would come up to me on the quad and be like, how's grandpa doing? Mm. <laughs> and everyone just called him grandpa, which is very cute. Um, yeah. Good old, good old grandpa. Did they die of COVID or? No, that, see, that's the craziest part. Um, she, I would say she died of stubbornness um, mm-hmm. because she, um, she had an aide and she was very embarrassed to have an aide. She really is very prideful. Um, and she couldn't walk very well. Mm-hmm. And so she calls out to my grandpa to help her. He's taking a nap. Um, and the aide tries to help her and she's like, no. And she gets up and she falls on her arm. She breaks her arm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pain was so intense that um, basically they gave her, you know, a lot of painkillers for it. And the painkillers had her lose her appetite and um, and knocked her out almost into like a coma. Right. Um, and uh, and she lost her appetite and she died of starvation. How old was she? She was 92. Wow. Yeah. And she lived a long life. She did. She died three days before her 93rd birthday. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it was really wild because actually I, um, I told people I was leaving here, but I... I was going to ask for forgiveness instead of permission, right? Because mm-hmm. at the time, COVID rules were very strict, and they were not happy with me. <laughs> they were like, you're going to bring COVID back to campus, whatever, yeah, whatever. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. I was, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I was uh, like, I got to go. I, I, you know, 
And it was the craziest because um, he knew her so well. We sat around her bed for like six hours, you know, telling her stories. And I, I did. My mom, of course, was like, do your Torah portion, do your Torah portion um, and sing her songs. And it was the most incredible. I, I still don't fully know if she could hear us. I think she could. Um, and uh, and Grandpa shoots up from the bed and he says, I know what she needs. Mint chocolate chip ice cream. And we look at him, we're like, you're nuts. She's gonna choke. What do you, she looks like this. You know, she can't, she can't really process anything. Um, and he's like, trust me, I know. So the aide gets the smallest spoon you've ever seen and gives her tiny little junior scoops of mint chocolate chip ice cream. And in her almost coma, you see her swallow. Mm. And it kept her alive an extra eight days. Mm. I say it's like modern Hanukkah. I yeah. swear I'm uh, like, okay, the eight-day thing, no, I don't know. February 6th to February 14th. That's crazy. Isn't it the wildest? I was mm. like, that was Hanukkah. But that this was- is why I always say, like, I feel like I'm an agnostic Jew. Because yeah. there's something about that that is divine in a way, right? It's yeah. bigger than yeah. what I can understand. Right. So I remember going through a period where I was like, I'm an atheist. And I was like, wait, mm. how do I say I know anything about right. this, right? Yeah. I can't yeah. know this. So I thought... But I can be a tradition. I can feel the love and tradition of Judaism. Yeah. I can have the questioning of agnosticism, right. and I can live with those things. If I say something is an absolute, it doesn't exist or it does exist. I feel like how I'm imbuing. Like, how do I give myself that power? Right. right. So I, I hear your story, and I'm like, something in your grandma's life had to work this sort of mystical Jewish magic to stay alive for eight more days on one taste. Is it, well, they kept, they kept getting their... their okay, on a few days. <laughs> <laughs> All right, come on, my story's <laughs> better. <laughs> Your story is better. Wait, did we do a little edit? I, I, I wrote this story down and published it. Mm. Um, and it, it's but it's Oh, thank you. But it's wild um, because, yeah, then he would see me do services every week. i call him up and read read my Devar before I would give it, and he'd give me any notes. Um, and then... Um, the very the very first time I was going to do services in person, you know, it was still outside, masked, had a, had a Zoom option, um, distanced, actually doubly masked, right? Um, and we were outside um, outside of risk, and uh, and it ended up being the last thing he ever heard. So he was in the hospital. Um, we didn't think it was anything serious. Um, but you know, when you're 94, everything's serious. Uh, and, and I go back to call him cause I would always call him after services and ask what he thought and he didn't pick up. Um, and you know, I called my mom up and she was like, Oh man, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to tell you unless you called me first. Um, but it's really, it's wild. It was three months exactly to the day, um, May 14th, 2021. Mm. And, and I would tell him, cause my whole life we'd always had Shabbat there every week. And I told him that morning, the morning he died, I said like, just one more Shabbat and I'll be home and we'll have our summer together. You know, you know, you got to promise me you'll be all right. And he said, all right, I'll call you when I'm feeling better. And he never called me. He never called. Yeah. It was wild. Wow. But you know, the, the, the beauty of your story is that, I mean, they live long lives, right? Yeah. But you can kind of look at your relationship with them as the most perfect thing in your life, right? It's true. It's true. And it will never be tarnished <laughs> by whatever future stuff could have happened. Yeah, it yeah. stays forever perfect. Yeah. And the other thing, and I promise you this, because the story of my grandparents is the same as yours. Really? They were the loves of my life. Oh. They raised me along with my parents. They yeah. were there for every minute. We lived, she lived next, really close. Yeah. We lived next door to them when <gasps> I was a real little kid, and my grandmother, wow. we had an apartment building my grandmother lived in one side we lived in the other wow. and she used to pass food through the window because we lived in the basement oh. and, um, and we you know growing up and when we after we moved we moved to another side of the city and then we moved to another town but they were there for everything and every weekend I stayed with them from Friday to Sunday wow. and we would in the summer we would spend at least a week two weeks at a time in addition to the weekends wow. um, they were to me they were second parents I was raised by four people yeah. and they were the most wonderful things in my life and my grandmother died and I had the 
incredible good fortune of being able to be there those last days with her and to talk to her. She was lucid all the way to the end. Really? And she had cancer and she no longer oh. could battle it anymore. And um, being able to talk to her all the way to the last few hours of her life, I gleaned so much wisdom from her. I wrote down stories. I wrote poems about what I saw and what really? I heard. And and then when my grandfather passed, so they, they had been in a nursing home and my grandfather, he was actually my step-grandfather, but he was there my whole life and so he oh, was, was really that my, the Italian no no it was the Jewish side oh, but um Jewish. my grandfather that I was named after my grandfather Mac died a few weeks before I was born yeah. so I was named after him his name was Maximilian van Has van Haspiel oh, and wow. I was named Mark after Mac but um my pop was my grandmother had remarried and and he had pretty much been, he had been there my entire life. They got married in the 60s. So Pop was my Pop for all intents and purposes. I was not of his flesh and blood, but I was all his you flesh and blood. You never felt like you weren't. Oh, good. God, he used to tell me all the time, I couldn't love you more if you came from me. Like, he was just the greatest man ever. Wow. Um, I'm be very careful not to cry in the podcast. But, <laughs> oh, you um, can, you can. But my I'm grandfather's, I, I'm almost there. Um, <laughs> my grandfather's daughter in Florida came to take him the last uh, year or so of his life and he had Alzheimer's and she oh. was really helping him down there. So my grandparents That's were split. Um, I never, I didn't get to see him again, but I remember the last time I spoke to him, I had um, called and I got his, his natural granddaughter, Janine, on the phone. And I said, you know, can I talk to Pop? And she said, Mark, just so you know, he's mostly out of it. He's probably not going to remember anything or not even know who you are. And I said, please, let's give it a try. I need to talk to him. Nana had died. I really wanted to yes. talk to Pop. Um, I wasn't going to tell him that she had died, but got on the phone. He didn't know. And got on the phone, and Lisa, he was like, Mark, oh, my God, what's going on? How's your job at the college? But he was almost perfect. Wow. And handed the phone back to Janine and she got back on the phone in tears like, I haven't seen Pop <laughs> that good like in the longest time. Oh. So that was the last time we spoke. And then his daughter had called to say that he got diagnosed with uh, cancer and he wasn't doing well. So I wrote a very, very long letter to Pop telling him how much I loved him and everything he meant to me my whole life. Wow. And I mailed the letter, and then a couple of days later, I got an answering machine message, the days of answering machines, from his daughter that Pop had died. And I called Jackie, and I spoke to her, and I said, oh, Jackie, I sent a letter. She goes, I got it, and I read it to him. And then he died. And, uh, and I just remember thinking, like, I got a gift yeah. that otherwise I wouldn't have gotten. And for the subsequent 25 years, I swear I hear my grandparents speak to me all the time. Yeah. I, I engage them in their wisdom all the time. Your grandparents are going to be there forever with you because they were there at the beginning. They know who you are, and you're informed by them. You're going to be informed by them the rest of your life. I still am. Thank I still you. am. Wow. Yeah, that's that's so beautiful. Yeah, that was a gift that it just showed how much you meant to him, that he... Wow. He stayed alive with my, my letter. <laughs> I, he needed to see my letter. And um, so I got to have the most beautiful. And my grandmother, we were at her side in the nursing home as she was dying. And she had kind of slipped into a coma with yeah. morphine. Yeah, and, um, same with my my, my name was the last one she called out before she never oh. spoke again. So it's like, I get to live with that, right? That's awesome. That's so you beautiful. So. That's, I still remember my grandfather, my grandma was, yeah, in the morphine coma. Um, and he's yelling at her and he's like, Minya, Lisa came home from college. Say thank you. And I'm like, please stop yelling at her. It's, it's really okay. I'm like, oh my. It's like, Minya. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, well before he got sick. Yeah. Um, it was crazy. That's wow. That's so beautiful. Mm. I I'm just so touched. I'm wondering, you know, wow. Here's just the last name she called. Mm. Um, gosh, what what do you remember most from growing up with them and when you stay at their house? Yeah. So. Oh, my God, it was so much fun. Yeah. And they were very strong influences in my Judaism. I mean, they oh, were awesome. they were um, observant. They yeah. did not keep trafe in the house. They yeah. did have separate dishes for milk and meat. Um, 
every weekend. So there was a lot of chaos in my life. I won't go too much more into that, but my grandparents were stability amidst chaos. You know, parents get divorced, stuff happens. And my grandparents, I would go there and there was always a stabilizing factor. So I'd go Friday night and my pop and I would watch Yankees baseball on TV. (laughs) Um, That was our thing. And my grandmother would make us snacks and she would scream at him, Sydney, of course you want a snack. Like she'd make him crazy. He was like the most henpecked man in the world. I'm like, I said, Nanny, he's going to kill you in the middle of your sleep. You're unbearable. Oh, he's fine. He's fine. It's it's so the same world because I can still hear Herbie. I think they were raised with a book that said, this is what you have to do to your spouse. And, you know, so I really don't think they liked each other that much. Honestly, they loved us, but they together were kind of a hot mess. Um, But they were wonderful. My grandfather and I just, he taught me how to play chess. He taught me how to play cards. He taught me how to play pool. He developed a love of tennis. Um, Every Saturday morning we would wake up and he would take me to the library and we would go and we would pick out books. He loved poetry and I would pick out poetry books and we would come back to the house after we stopped at the bagel shop and we'd get bagels and locks and sable and all the good (laughs) stuff and we'd come back. And then after we were done with breakfast, Pop had this like little stanchion he would put down and he would have me stand up on the stanchion like a podium (laughs) and he would have me read poetry to him and he would lean back in his chair he had pop's chair and he'd lean back in his chair his head back his eyes closed with a big smile on his face as i would read and i was like you know whatever seven eight nine years old and then he would afterwards he he would critique it and he'd be like mark great job but (laughs) you know a little more inflection on this point and that and then we would go back again and i would do it again Um, But it didn't feel torturous. It felt like it was me and Pop having a special thing together, right? And then as they got older, I needed to take care of them. My grandmother had a stroke in her 70s. My grandfather um, started to lose it. I mean, he was getting dementia and stuff. And so I came every weekend when I was in college. And I cleaned their house, and I would go and shop for them, and then make sure they had everything they needed for the week and all. And, um, but I, I loved to do it. It was like, I wanted to do it. It was, they were, you know, they were, they raised me and then they needed help at the end. And I was able to be there to help kind of raise them at the end, you know? Um, but it was stability. It was an incredible amount of love. It was, my grandfather believed so much in me and I don't think he ever went I don't think he graduated high school. I don't know. I know my grandmother did not. Um, But he was such a well-read man. He spoke several languages, all self-taught. And when I went to college, my grandfather enrolled in the local college to take a course when he was 76 years old. So that we could be in college together. And so I would come home on the weekends. No, it's crazy. I'm telling you. I, I would come home on the weekends with papers from my English class. And he would read them and critique them. And I'd read his. He took an abnormal psychology class, and so, which was so pop. Um, and so I would um, read his papers and give him a critique. And he wow. just wanted to be in college with me so we could share an experience together. It was the same thing with my grandpa. He would he would look at my psych textbooks. That's so funny. And he and he'd say, "This is great." He'd say, "This is exactly what I used to do." Mm-hmm. Um, he wow, yeah. that's that's so cool. He just wanted to be in your world. Yeah. My grandfather never had any confidence in himself. He never believed in himself. And he had mental struggles. Um, And back then, they would give shock treatments to him. And no, it was terrible. Um, And I used to tell him all the time, I'm like, Pop, you're the greatest of everything. And he never believed in himself. And I just always wanted him to feel pride in me and wanted him to know that if I ever became something good or did something good, it was because of him. And so I hope in that letter that his daughter read to him at the end of his life where I said all of that, I hope he was able to hear it and leave the world knowing that he had done a damn good job. Yeah. Yeah, I know. No, I know he did. And it's so beautiful that, you know, you shared all that poetry and then you ended up writing the poetry about him. Mm-hmm. That's so... Oh, I have so many poems I read about them, about um, after my grandmother died at her um, funeral, I read a poem that I called Don't Go, and it was about how... 
I still at 29 felt like a child and I still needed my grandparents and please don't leave me. And yeah, and you know, I've wrote things since about them and you know, it just, and it's, and it all goes back. It's funny. It's not separate from the initial conversation. It goes back to the strong sense of faith, of service, of my grandparents were, my grandmother shook the can outside the supermarket raising money for Deborah Hart Foundation because service was really, really important to them. And they taught me the value of becoming educated because they couldn't do it. Um, My grandparents didn't have any money, but my senior year, the summer before my senior year, I needed one class in order to be able to take a summer class in order to be able to graduate on time. From high school or college? uh, From college. And it was $1,000 for the class. And I did not have a thousand dollars. And if I didn't take it, I wasn't going to be able to overload in the fall or the spring to graduate on time. So I could walk, but I wouldn't get a diploma on time. And my grandmother, in hearing this, wrote me a check for the probably the one thousand dollars she had in her bank account. And she said to me, you take that summer class and you graduate on time because I have to be there to see you. And so I did, and I took a women's literature class. I got an A, um, and my grandparents were there at my graduation where I actually received a diploma walking across the stage. And that was just like they constantly supported. They would do funny things like when I visit on the weekend, my grandfather would give me a couple of bucks to go back to college with, but he literally would be like $2, and he would take it, and he'd like shove it in my pants. and be like, don't tell Nana. And I'd take a look, and it'd be 2 bucks. I was like, I won't tell her. And then she, she, she would, and she'd like write me a check for ten dollars, and she'd be like, "Don't tell Pop." And I'm like, "Why don't you two just talk about it? It's like, you're both doing this either way, and I've got to be quiet about it." Um, but no, they were like, I really believe that if it weren't for them and their tutelage, their guidance, their religious and spiritual a mentorship, I don't. I think I would have turned out okay. And I think I'm okay. I don't I think I got issues, but I think they they were foundationally so important to just my well-being as a human being. And everything. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I I'm just I know, we're both like yeah, we're like drenched here tears. We're clapped, right? Yeah. yeah, we're totally overclapped. Yeah, I love it. I overcome. Mm. You know. I was trying to think of a translation in there. Sometimes it isn't a direct one. No. Uh, <laughs> No. Um, but it was wow. bizarre that we were supposed to meet, right? Yeah. Like, meant oh, to be. Absolutely. My, the other thing I, that I remember being very important when I went to college, um, yeah, I had lost my religion after the bar mitzvah. Yeah. And it was kind of like I was trying to discover other things about myself. Religion was not that important. And then I went to college and I started to feel um, the pangs of anti-Semitism in the world. Yes. And I'd experienced a lot in my life, a lot of really? crazy moments of anti-Semitism. Before, before college? or? Yeah, 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 yeah. High school, middle school, Jeez. kids throwing pennies at my feet, you Jew, blah, blah, oh. blah. Oh, yeah, no, I got a lot of it. I got a lot of it. My own family, like my dad's mom... Polish Catholic who were married at the time. They were great. They were very kind to me. They were great. His father, though, was not so great and didn't want to see us because we were Jew kids and like, didn't want anything to do with us. So it wasn't really to the end of his life. I got to know him maybe the last year or so of his life, and he was fine, but uneducated. Anti-Semitism was sort of rooted in that part of the family. Yeah, I never got that from my grandmother. My Polish Catholic grandmother was so cute. She would... On Easter, which often coincided with Passover, we would go over and she would like try. So she would serve us matzah with the ham, right? So <laughs> she really tried. She really tried. And she like wrapped our gifts in Hanukkah paper. Like, no, my oh, grandma was like, she was, grandma was solid sweet, when it came to, to her support. But no, the world was a little bit rough. And so I went to college and I decided that maybe it was time to find my Judaism again. And so I actually became the president of the Jewish student organization. Really? Fairly Dickinson, my alma mater. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I did that for a year. Um, it was real interesting. I liked it. The rabbi or the spiritual leader they had assigned to us was a nice person. And then that person left. And then 
this sort of right-wing orthodox oh, Lubavitch of people came in and they glamped on and I got scared. And I was, you know, oh. 18, 19, so I just ran. And so I, I just left the organization oh. because I was afraid of being sort of weaponized by them. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it set me back into this place where, like, I can be proud to be Jewish. Yeah. I used to do things like, and I did it even into my 20s, where I would say... He would ask me about my religious background, like, I'm Jewish. Oh, but half my family's Catholic, as if I needed an excuse. Like, a disclaimer. I'm still okay, though. Like, I'm still partially yeah. Christian, right? And wow. it was because I probably felt some humiliation, some fear, some worry. Well, and, or, you know. and you don't know, because there are so few Jews in the world, you don't know what association people have. This is true. You know, Lisa, the weird part about that is yeah. that, you know, I, having lived in most North Jersey most of my life, I lived in very large or large enough Jewish communities. I always met Jewish people. I met people of every faith background. Sure. My mom taught comparative religion at her temple. Oh. So I learned oh. about like... Islam and I learned all this stuff because of my mom. My parents were always very curious people yeah. and and so I was very fortunate to have a family that really sort of looked at the diversity as the world in the world as a strength, right? But I faced an incredible amount of weird anti-Semitism in places I never expected. So I once worked for a guy at a college who was a vice president of enrollment. And he came late to a meeting once, and I was a director of admissions, and he came late to a meeting, and he's like, oh, sorry, I'm late for the meeting. Um, a family was trying to Jew me down on the price of the place. And I looked at them, and I said, I said, do you know that I'm Jewish? Well, his foot went right into his mouth, and he's like, well, um, uh, you know, uh, what I meant was, oh, I said, oh, I know what you meant, because I've been it's dealing with it my whole life. Oh, I know what you meant, right? There's no misinterpreting There's that. no misinterpreting that one. And he's like, oh. well, um, and I said, you know what? You're probably best to stop right now and move on. And I thought, I can't believe in a professional world I'm still having to deal with this. But that was few and far between for the most part. The weirdest, and here I am, like, in my 50s, I'm moving to Ohio, yeah. to Oberlin, which is, you know, 30% Jewish population, but the western burbs of Cleveland, not so much. All the Jews of Cleveland are on the east side. Yeah. On the west side, there were, like, no, very, very few Jewish people wow. in that area or even in the administration. Yeah. And so... I had to, again, think about my Judaism in a way I never had to think about it before. Like, what, like things would come up related to the Sabbath, and the student would need, an, uh, they need to have a key during the Sabbath. They couldn't do a swipe card because you can't use electronics. Right. And nobody knew what to do. And I was like, oh, wow, that's odd. Like, I just was used to being in places where people at least knew Jewish traditions. Um, as much as I loved Oberlin, I don't have bad words to say about it, um, I didn't get a lot of um, happy Hanukkahs. I didn't get uh -huh. many happy Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. I didn't get some people. I mean, there were wonderful people, but it wasn't out of a hatred. It was out of a lot of folks never really knew Jewish people before, right? So it's very interesting to be Jewish in this world because we are so, so small. And when you get out of population centers where we exist, there are many people who have never interacted with somebody who's Jewish. So, wow, like it hits you again that your identity is front and center in how you have to project yourself to the world. Like, we got to take care of our people yeah. because there are people who don't even recognize we exist. Did you ever read this book, People Love Dead Jews, Dara Horn? No. Um, it's, it's a great book. Um, she actually came here and spoke last year, mm. Dara Horn. She's fantastic. Um, and it was just all about how the only times people actually want to talk about the Jewish experience are interested is the Holocaust, you right. know, really, like, right. and things like it. And actual current lived Jewish experiences, people find inconvenient or foreign or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so it's so important to talk about it. Yeah. Um, I really, wow. It just sounds like mm. you had such a journey with your relationship to that, right? And I guess I'm wondering, 
were there time when you were saying, you know, I'm Jewish, but I'm also Catholic, you know, were there, did you feel like your Catholic roots still influenced you? Like, did you still, do you still celebrate Christmas and Easter? Do you still, is any of that still part of your life? I never celebrated it. I, 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 yeah, I, it's weird. Celebrate's an interesting word because I always would go to my family for the holidays and it was their celebration. Where I struggled, and maybe it's the roots of the difference between Judaism and Christianity in the way I was raised, is I would ask questions sometimes about why we do this or that. And it was like, we do it because we do. And I think part of it is like, we've been given the answer in the Savior. You don't need any more answers, right? Stop asking questions. Stop asking. And I don't, and again, it wasn't mean spirited, nothing. It was just like, this is what we do. And so I never really um understood it and my parents as singers also had church jobs so I almost I went to Presbyterian wow. church almost every Sunday because my <laughs> parents sang at the church and they didn't have money for babysitters did you go guess, with your grandparents yeah, no no with my parents my well, parents but if you were staying with your grandparents yeah or something. they would take us or my or the oh, times wow. that my dad would sometimes pick us up and bring us with him and then we would do like a family thing there and stuff so yeah it was a wow. mix my grandparents did not come to the church I can't imagine um, yeah. but they didn't mind it I mean they weren't like and they liked the fact that my parents were making money doing something so sure. it didn't matter to them but so I I had Presbyterians um I got really interested in um, the Episcopalian faith because mm-hmm. a very dear friend of mine in high school was she was going to become a, a Episcop- Episcopal priest and so wow. I wanted to learn about what that was like and so, so cool. I did that okay. so um so I, no so I didn't celebrate but at the same time so many of my dear friends their families celebrated so I was always the guy that came over to people's houses yeah. to like celebrate Christmas with us and well, do the seven fishes on Christmas sure. Eve and all that so. it's funny I always say and you know I I don't even know why I just said celebrate because I always say the same thing about myself I say I feel very comfortable being a guest at someone else's celebration love it if it's, I struggle with, so I'm in an interfaith relationship right now, right? And my boyfriend is very agnostic, but still celebrates Christian holidays, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he has said that he wants a Christmas tree in our house. And that still causes such an internal conflict mm-hmm. to me. You know, I think about back to Solomon's chapter, I think we don't do that. You know, <laughs> like that's not us. But really, a Christmas you know? tree is pretty secular, though. If you think about I, yeah. it, it's not, yeah. I mean, it's not religious, but I get what you're saying because okay. it says to the world something about you. I get if it. you look out the window, sure. Right. right. And it's kind of like, right, if I ever go to someone's house, I'm so thrilled to be a guest and it's not my home. Great. I'll go every day. Sure. Um, but it, there's something so different when you take ownership of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious. So was being at Oberlin kind of a transformational moment for you in, in your relationship to Judaism? Yeah, because I, it was interesting because I had to think about my faith traditions, but project myself. So I was assistant VP of student affairs there. I had to be open to everyone. So when the Muslim Student Association invited me to do Ramadan stuff with them and Eid and like I went, right. And I went to everybody's celebration and the religious side, Chabad House, Hillel, they wow. would want me to come and do more with them because they yeah. knew I was Jewish. And I think they wanted me to legitimately have a Jewish life. But I couldn't have a Jewish life at Oberlin because I had to be somewhat neutral mm-hmm. in the way I dealt with things. Because I didn't mm-hmm. want there to be a perception that there was favoritism here yeah. and not yeah. here, right? Um I went to, there was one reformed temple in a city called Illyria, and I went there a couple of times. There was a female rabbi. She was wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I think what it did was really solidified my strong sense of tradition, of family, of connection, of, um, of really all my identities. I feel the strongest about who I am as a Jew even though I'm not in temple every Friday or Saturday, I eat all kinds of trade. Like I'm bad. Like I am bad. Right. (laughs) No such thing. No. Yeah. Maybe a little such thing. But, um, (laughs) but I, it did, it made me have to look at it because when you really see yourself as an Island, um, you start, you, you have to represent in a very different way, or you choose to 
remain invisible. And I think yeah. identities that are invisible eventually go away. Right. And I don't want it's that. Extinct. It's great. You know, the reality is I think we're, we're still, look, we live in a Christian society. Oh, yeah. Um, I think all the time what that feels like for Muslim students, yeah, for definitely. Hindu, for anybody who's um, not in it. Not in the majority. Not in the majority, exactly. And, and I think I'm so um, passionate about religious pluralism. Yeah. Because, look, it somewhere there is somebody who wants to get rid of all of us whether oh, yeah. we're muslim we're jewish we're if we're christian somebody wants yeah. so the we ca- can oh the catholics yeah. i mean look at the history of what happened to them so i think we got to stop with who's better or no. worse or who's yeah. right or who's yeah. wrong and be much more like i want you as a Jew- young jewish woman to find your happiness and joy in this world yeah. i want that young muslim man to do the same sure, thing sure. because if you find your joy and your contentment yeah on a on a societal level you're probably not going to walmart and, bl- and blowing the place away with a gun right well it's so it's so funny you mentioned walmart first of all Yes. Uh, no You're probably not here. going to Walmart. Uh, <laughs> right. no. Well, it's so funny because when I was Hillel president, one of the jobs of the Hillel president is to get a hollow every week. Going back to Schechter, right? Like mm-hmm. bring the hollow home. Um, and my first week as president, I didn't know where to go to get this hollow. So I go to I go to Wegmans and they're out of hollow. They're out of hollows. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, I'm not going to have a hollow. They're going to impeach me. I, you know, I'm panicking. <laughs> and so I go to Walmart, and which, you know, what a mistake. Um, and I was like, hi, do you have hollow? And um goes, what? <laughs> she goes, can you spell that? And she, and I was, and she still, she was like, can I see it? Can you write it out? She's like, Chala? She's like, I don't know what that is. She's like, mm-hmm. do you want a baguette? <laughs> It's like Baruch Hatado by Baguette. You're like, well, at least you're in the right food group, lady. I was like, no. I finally go to Giant. God bless. Had a hollow Mm -hmm. third store. Um, so I I had that experience during Hanukkah last year. I went to um, like a Target. Oh, Meyer, Meyer in um, Amherst, Ohio. Oh wow! And I'm looking around, and they've got a load of Christmas stuff, and I can't find anything that was for Hanukkah. And so I went up to a guy. He worked there, and I was like, do you have any Hanukkah stuff? And he said, we have a little thing over here. And he walks me over, and he left me, and it was, I mean, they had like four trinkets, right? And I just kind of stood there, and he walked away. It was so lovely, though. This is the beauty of human beings, though. He came back, and he said, and I just want to wish you a happy holiday, too. And he walked away, and I thought this is okay like yeah. he knew that he wasn't going to take me to a display that I'd be proud of and he wanted to recognize my difference my religion wow. and I thought yay people are good in the world so people I gotta believe world. with all the craziness and the mishigas and all that that we see there are plenty of people who want to recognize my personhood for every piece of who I am, right? And those are the people I choose to have in my life. Because if I had to live every minute in thoughts about anti-Semitism or homophobia or all the isms, I couldn't live happily in this world. No, I mean, you have to um, walk and chew gum, you know? Is that our faith tradition, at least the way I grew up, is we don't necessarily have concepts of hell. Some people argue the concept of, of heaven. Right. Um, but what we do have is the memory that people carry on about us after we're gone yes. is what's so important. So we yeah. have to do mitzvah. We have to do good deeds in this world because it's the stories of your life that are your legacy that carry on forever. It's why you're going to talk about your grandparents for oh, the rest of your so life. Important. As will I. Yeah. The Holocaust stories must continue to Absolutely. be spoken about, right? Yeah. Because a Holocaust is never too far away. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we stop talking, as soon as we push it under the rug, as soon as we remain invisible or go back to being invisible, it will happen again. It's, it's so important telling those stories. Did you ever see the movie Coco? No. About oh, Coco great. Chanel? No. Oh. <laughs> <It's> a- <laughs> Oh, God, I just took it down to such a, like, low level. No, what is it? What is it? Coco Chanel, you know, not our friend. Uh, 
Yikes. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad the podcast can't show me turning red right now. You know? so anyway. so funny. No, no, what's the movie about? Coco, um, it's a Pixar movie. And uh, it's all about this concept. It's actually, it's about Dia de los Muertos. Um, and it's mm-hmm. about this concept of if a person, if it's like the pe- the person's memory lives on and if the last person if there are no more people on earth who know about the person even second third tenth hand then they die in the afterlife too mm. um and it's so powerful mm. it's so like this um this guy is about to die in the afterlife because his great granddaughter or whatever or his daughter um is getting very old and never told anyone about him because she thought she had a misconception that he ran off and abandoned her even though that's not what actually happened and then when his story begins to be told and the truth comes out then he lives on in the afterlife mm. and it really it's such a powerful meta- metaphor you know mm. it keeps those people alive and my mom actually now so i have four nephews um and my mom chose coco to be her grandmother name mm. um she was so inspired by you know my mom is a hospital chaplain so she you know wow. yeah so she talks to people, you know, in the last seconds of their that's lives. That's and like their akin to being a hospice nurse. That's oh, like, yeah. That's tough stuff. Oh, she's yeah. my hero. I don't know how she does mm. it. You know, it's it's incredible. Um, and, yeah, but the importance of storytelling. Um, and, you know, on the note of storytelling, I also think what you do professionally is so um, key to that and mm. goes hand in hand. What got you to want to be involved? Were, were you always doing things similar to your position now? Um, I mean, I've worked in higher ed most of my career. I've yeah. had a few times where I worked for like a college access organization that helped oh, kids from Newark go to college and yeah. I would like mentor them. And um, You know, part of it, it's funny. I don't see a direct line from my upbringing, but I see a tangential one. So the, the easier line is I went to college, I graduated, I didn't know what to do with the rest of my life. I enjoyed college. So I thought, oh yeah, I can work there and I'll do that, right? Yeah. So that was a simple explanation. The larger explanation, I think, is my mom was a teacher in an urban district. My grandparents were fully supportive of me and service. And and again, I always watched people volunteering, service, giving. Um, We were not successful financially. There wasn't a millionaire in the family. And so I never really thought about industry. I never, I kind of just thought about using the examples of what I had seen. And so... The things of the heart, the again, the loving experiences we've talked about with with grandparents, and those are the things that always gave me that 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 thing, that fire. And so, working in higher ed, I often connect to that fire um, through the work. So. I really fell into it because I had nothing else I knew I could do. But I'm thinking maybe in the undercurrent, there was something inside of me that was like, you have to go to this type of work because that's been your path all along, even if you never saw it as that, you know? So, yeah. Wow. It was just, it was meant to be. And um, wow, that's amazing. And what brought you to Lafayette from Oberlin? Well, you know, having, I had, I loved Oberlin. I still, I will always look at Oberlin as two of the best years of my life. Um, There's a pragmatic piece that um, my family, my partner, everybody's here. My family is all in Jersey, Northern Maryland and uh, New York City is where my partner is. And so, you know, going, flying back every month and all was getting really tiring. It was a lot. It was a lot. Um, I also was a little concerned that like, I was brought to fix something specific and I had sort of done that. And I was concerned that after the fix was really done by the end of this year, would I be coming back with the same, like, I don't want to have less to bring to the table each year. I always want to bring more, right? When I saw this position that was, it wasn't just a promotion, but it was a aspirational, it was strategy, it was planning. And then I met um, Sarah Motion Ross and I I felt something in her heart and her spirit that spoke. It was like a resonant message that felt very much like the messages I got from my grandparents, from my mentors, from other people. And I thought, I need to 
walk down this path with this woman at this place that I had always known was this fantastic institution. I didn't want to come back to like a falling apart place or whatever. No. I'm like, Lafayette's not falling apart. Lafayette's doing okay. It's a special okay. place. It's a special yeah. place. So the interview made me feel that way. I came, wow. the interview was the night that President Heard did the tree lighting, the um, oh, lighting on the square. And so it was nice. so nice and it was so damn cold that night, but everyone was having a good time. And, oh, it was a blast. And they were singing and all, and I thought, the way I felt about Oberlin was very similar to the way I felt about here. Mm -hmm. And the two years at Oberlin were so amazing. There was something that said that these could be amazing years here too. Wow. And so, and again, I think all of it, now that we're talking, I think there's a constant message from the people who were there at the beginning of my life. And look, yeah. the people who bring us into the world aren't going to be the ones we leave with down the road. Um, they continue to inform who I need to be in this world. And so I have to start listening more to that inner voice and that that place of... Those legacies. The legacy, that's it. Yeah. The place of legacy. Absolutely. What does that look like? For the future? Yeah. Um, if it's anything like Oberlin, it will be a cadre of the most amazing friends I've met in my life, chosen family. Um, it will be the ability to mentor students the way somebody did with me. And that's a whole nother podcast about what a mess I was going to college and the people <laughs> really? that found me and helped me. Oh, wow. I should have dropped out 14 times. Um, really? Oh yeah, because I had no, I didn't know why I was there. I, yeah. I had people, my grandparents said, we love you, we love you. Nobody knew what to do for me though. And I you just, know what your path was. I had no path. I was, I was homesick. I cried every night. Like I was. How far away were you? An hour. It oh, was not, too, no, it was, you know, but I didn't have a car, so an hour was a long walk, you know. So was, how did you come home every weekend for your grandparents? Well, I wound up, my dad would pick me up because he worked Aww. near where I went to school. Yeah. He would drive me back, and then I would take his car to visit my grandparents, Aww. and then my second year of college, my sophomore year, I got a car, and so I spent 400 bucks on a car, and I drove to Oh, them. it's so worth it. It's a game changer. Oh, totally, and then I could I, do that, and I could help them, and I could get there, and I could do everything. Um, so... Yeah, so I, I lost my train of thought on what I was saying. About when, you, when you said you should have dropped out 14 times. Yeah, I should have dropped out 14 times. Mm -hmm. And just about going to college and... Oh, what's in the future? Oh, yeah, yeah. So hopefully to find other kids like me here that need someone to give them a little confidence booster. Yeah. And just to be able to like help elevate a place that's already very high up and elevated, but to bring it even to another level. And so that every student who comes here, who deserves to have the most incredible experience of their life if they want one, mm -hmm. has the tools to make that happen. And so if I can leave down the road, and you know, my hope will be that I'll be here for the long haul, yeah. um, that I'll be able to look back and say, God, I met the most incredible colleagues. I made some dear friends. I had a really funky time living in the Lehigh Valley <laughs> and like in other places, like I just got invited to a wedding from some wow. student from 15 years ago. And like, that's the stuff that I'm yeah. hoping will continue to happen. Right? Are you, um, are you living in Easton or? Yeah. Okay. I live right by campus. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. That's perfect. I'm walking every day. You're it's walking. good. Oh, yeah, oh my yeah. gosh. About this. I am so appreciative of this time. This was amazing. I mean, this was a gift I did not expect to get, but I feel wow. like you really gave me a gift here. Thank you so much. I feel like you gave me a gift and we cried together. We did cry just, together. <laughs> I, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. And I'm telling you, part two down the road. Part two. You oh. and me, oh. the Mark and Lisa show. Let's do it. <laughs> no, the Lisa and Mark show. Yeah. Your name first. No, be, be my new co host. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you take my show over next year. <laughs> See how it goes with Sarah, and if she likes it, maybe she could add that to my duties. That'd be kind of fun. Oh, that's so, so fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Oh, thank really, you. it's such a pleasure. And thank you for listening.